Good morning. Well, I'm not sure what you plan on spending your day doing, but as a citizen of the modern world, there is one thing that you don't have much of a decision in, and that is that by the end of the day, when you lay your head on the pillow, you will see, you will be exposed to, you will experience somewhere between 4,000 to 10,000 advertisements every single day. You have no choice in this. It's just part of being alive and awake in the modern world. Somewhere between 4,000 to 10,000 advertisements. The younger that you are, the higher the number goes. This average comes down to about 260 advertisements every waking hour. To break that down even more, that's about four advertised per minute. There are some, like, I don't know many things other than breathing that I'm doing this many times a day. Now, what's so fascinating is with such a high number how the majority of everything that we scroll past on our feeds, we skip on YouTube, or we flip through in a magazine, they all share this web of interrelated imagery that you can't really get past. Just think about this. No matter what's being advertised, the same images come before us. It's the couple drinking coffee and reading in bed. It's the man playing guitar on the couch or the woman journaling while her dog naps nearby. It's the family dancing in the living room, playing board games on the floor or camping in the backyard. It's the group of friends on the beach for a picnic as the sun sets. It's the person standing in front of a waterfall, a mountain landscape, or a forest with their arms outstretched. And have you noticed that their arms are always outstretched. Close-up portraits of people content, happy, or relaxed. Think about this for a moment. 4,000 to 10,000 of these that we're going through, and they're all, it's basically about six to 10 of the same sorts of images that we're being exposed to, that we're seeing over and over again. Whether it's coming from yesterday, whether it's Instacart, the Hinge dating app, a designer couch, Airbnb, or a hair loss medication. It's the same sort of images that are hooking us into the pitch. So here's the question. What is it that all of these ads are actually selling behind their varying products, subscriptions, and medications? They're all selling Sabbath. They're all selling Sabbath, or the word in Hebrew is Shabbat. As you'll see behind me, it's a word that can mean to stop, to cease, or be done. Behind all of those thousands of advertisements are countless marketing departments that know you and I ache for this sort of life to stop, to pause, to recenter on the most important things, but that we do not have this life and they, we ache for it. And these marketing departments know us not because they're some kind of strange AI bot, but because they're us. There's some of you in this room. Give us some diversity in our advertisements in the coming year, please. Something other, maybe not. But... And so again and again, what ends up happening over and over again in our lives, we are offered Sabbath in the form of a weekly meal subscription, a dating app, a weekend getaway, or a weighted blanket. But the irony is you can't buy Sabbath and you don't need to. All you have to do, like the word says, is stop. Now this ache for Sabbath that's found not just in our lives or in the marketing departments of our day, this life of peace and rest and joy is actually nothing new to the human experience. We are not the first ones to feel this. It goes all the way back to Jesus's day. If you have your Bibles with me, with me, don't, I don't have your Bibles. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Matthew 11, verse 28. And once you find yourself there, would you join me in standing for the reading of the scriptures? Matthew 11, verse 28. And so before well, we read from the scriptures today, let's, let's pray. Let's invite you. Holy Spirit, 
Would you speak through your inspired scriptures today? Would you help us to deeply hear one of Jesus's most famous invitations with open ears and ready hearts? May we receive this invitation, God, not just as an abstract idea, but as a lived reality. As we just sang a moment ago, would you open our eyes? We want to see you. Would you open our ears? We want to hear you. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke up and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Before you sit, again, the same words, but in Eugene Peterson's wonderful paraphrase of what we just read from Jesus. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Amen. You may be seated. Are you weary, are you tired, is a rhetorical question in our moment. Are you tired? Of course you are. Low-grade exhaustion is the new normal for all of us. When I ask you, how are you doing? What is it? It's either busy or tired. That's the pendulum, the cul-de-sac that we drive around. And burnout has become a rite of passage for our generation. So this question, are you tired, is one that we all deeply feel. And it's a question, it's a problem that begins first in our bodies. It's a somatic problem, this problem of our exhaustion and our tiredness. Just consider, for most of human history, people slept for an average of 10 to 11 hours a night. Yes and amen. Today, the average is six, half of that. And, and what we don't even have to go Bible here. Neuroscience repeatedly shows us the devastating effects of what insufficient sleep does to our bodies. And though there are seasons of life when, when good sleep is unavoidable or is, is very avoidable, we cannot get it. New parents say, woo. There are seasons of life when we're just not going to get the sleep that we get. They're all asleep. They're at home asleep right now. <laughs> though there are seasons of life when, when we're just not going to be able to get that kind of healthy sleep, it's become a chronic problem in our age today. This kind of lack of sleep, this insufficient sleep. So this weariness begins in our bodies. We just use one example there of sleep, but then it goes deeper from our bodies. It then extends into our minds. It moves from being a somatic problem, our bodies, to a psychological problem. What ends up happening here is that this pervasive lingering sense of exhaustion stays. Even when we do get a decent night's sleep, even when we do get a vacation, even when we go get a massage or we get a three to four day weekend, amen, there's still, even in the midst of that, while we're on vacation, remains this pervasive, creeping sense of exhaustion that lingers, that it must be something more than our body. And it's a response to the world that we live in. The world that we live in, a world of normalized, constant hurry and busyness. We live, Angelinos, in a city of noise pollution in our city that interrupts sleep and even just like the way that your brain works on a regular basis. This is written to someone who lives and works underneath the ten. Add to this the rising cost of living and the anxiety that that brings, so many of us bringing on side hustles just to stay afloat. Yeah. 
Add to this the digital age of waking up and falling asleep with our phones and always on work culture. Cue the Slack notifications in your back pocket right now. And the 24-7 news feeds that are fueled by outrage and fear. Add to this the lingering effects that we all live through a pandemic And whether that's long COVID in our bodies or just the collective chronic trauma that we carry, we're carrying this not just in our bodies, but in our minds. Continue to add to this, a moment of political polarization, injustice, and vitriol that screams for you to be angry with us. Add to this even further, an age of radical individualism. And what comes with it is an epidemic of loneliness that has now been called the greatest health crisis of our generation. Add to all of this... (laughs) Our increased use of processed foods, caffeine, alcohol, nicotine, porn, weed, late night Netflix binges, and a carton of strawberry ice cream that's used to cope with the world that we live in. And none of these things actually help. They actually just take a further toll on our bodies and our minds. Our bodies are exhausted. Our minds are exhausted. And all of this comes together, somatic and psychological, to also become a spiritual problem. It's a problem in our souls. Because as followers of Jesus, what we believe, what we have received from Jesus is that love of God and love of others is the end goal of everything our faith is about. The spiritual journey of who you are being invited by Jesus and saved by Jesus to become is a person of deep love. And so we chart our course on the way of becoming more like Jesus based off our love. But when we're worn down and exhausted, it becomes harder to love. It becomes harder to love, first and foremost, God. As Jesus said, the worries of this age, the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Jesus's words are mirrored in the scientists who tell us that exhaustion erodes the part of your brain that exercises impulse control, what the authors of scripture would call self-control, your prefrontal cortex. When you are tired, you are more prone to self-destructive behavior, what the authors of scripture would call sin. This is why your grandma always told you nothing good happens after midnight. That was not because there was some air, like weird spiritual thing that happens, because your brain is exhausted and when you're tired, you do stupid. But the problem is now that in an age of exhaustion, we do stupid decisions that, you know, maybe we would make at midnight at 2 p.m. on a Thursday. When we're tired, it's more difficult to love God. And even more when we're tired, it becomes harder to love others too. And I don't need to talk about this. You know this is true. Look over your life and consider some of the worst moments as a human, as a friend, as a coworker, as a roommate, a spouse, a parent. When was it? There was something there. You were exhausted. You were tired. You were stressed. You were in a... You see, chronic exhaustion is degrading our bodies. It's fogging our minds. It's inhibiting the growth of our souls. It's stopping up our love. And this is not how it was meant to be. Jesus's will for your life and mine is not this life, for you to be chronically exhausted, sleep-deprived, and unhappy, and living with no margin. Rather, based on where all that kind of exhaustion leads us that we've just talked about, it's not hard for us to see. It's actually the will of the enemy, the one who Jesus said comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Have we even considered that maybe one of the primary tools of the enemy in our day and age is by stealing, killing, and destroying us through exhaustion and a pace of life that we're living? Jesus' desire is for your heart, soul, mind, and strength to experience what he called life to the full. 
blooming with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, all of that and more. You see, wisdom, insight, hope, vision for your future, grace for others and grace for yourself and the energy to offer your best creative work to the world, these are what Jesus desires for you. And so therefore, rest is essential for following Jesus and becoming a person of self-giving love. And what is the biblically prescribed way that we enter into this? How do we enter into, how do we receive Jesus's come to me and I will give you rest? The biblically prescribed means is through the practice of Sabbath. This is how we step into this life to the full. Now again, Sabbath, or in Hebrew, the word Shabbat, most literally means to stop, but it can also mean to rest, to delight, and to worship. And so based off this, we can frame the Sabbath in these four movements that you'll see behind me, stop, rest, delight, and worship. And so the plan is going to be a four-week series on Sabbath where we will move week by week through each one of these movements. And so week one is stop. If you have your Bibles still open, flip back to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. And read with me. At the end of his creation, so the heavens and the earth, everything in them were completed. On the seventh day... God had completed his work that he had done and he rested, he Sabbathed, he stopped on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy for on it he Shabbat, he rested, he Sabbathed, he stopped from all of his work of creation. Now don't miss this. In the midst of the creation story here, don't miss this. God Sabbathed. God Sabbathed. God stopped. You may say, but I'm type A, high capacity kind of person. God Sabbath. You may say, but I'm really more of a doer. I've got a lot of irons in the fire, those waves of creativity to write. God stopped. But I'm in a fast-paced tech industry or cutthroat entertainment industry. If I don't lay my life down for the sake of my work, then God Sabbath. God stopped. But I have toddlers, kids' soccer practices, and five birthday parties in this afternoon. God Sabbathed, God stopped. But the devil never takes a day off. There's a gospel to preach, church work to do, but God did take a day off. And the last time I checked, it's God's example we follow and not the devil's. God, the creator, stopped. And in doing so, as the creator, he weaved into his very good creation a rhythm for us to live into a rhythm of working and creating for six days, and then we Sabbath, we stop for one. Just about every single society in history of the world has been built around a seven-day week, even though it's the one unit of time that's not tied to the movement of the stars. Think about this. The day is what? A 24 rotation of the earth. The month is a lunar cycle. How do we measure our years? Not in daylight, sunsets, and midnights and cups of coffee, but the earth's journey around the sun. Anyone? Thank you, Andrew. But the seven-day week is the one weird little thing that's not built on the stars. The seven-day week is built on God's own life rhythm. And history tells us we tinker with this rhythm to our own detriment. Back during the French Revolution in 1793, there was an effort to increase productivity in France. And so what they did was modified the week, bringing it from seven days to 10. What was the result? Production actually decreased. 
there was a swarm of mental illness increasings and suicides skyrocketed. They had to rump it back and go back to seven days. And here's, here's the strange, just the reality of it. We are reliving the French Revolution. Not just moving from a seven to a 10 day work week, but a life where literally rhythm is gone. Not due to government mandated overhaul, but the frenetic go, 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 never stop life that's lived on the other side of the car, the internet, electricity, and the smartphone. We live lives like the French Revolution, disconnected from the Genesis 2 rhythm, and in doing so, we find ourselves disconnected from our humanity. Because the reality is, you're not a machine. We are called human beings, not human doings, as it's been said. You are not designed to go 24-7. You see, God created rest. You'll see behind me, rest as rhythm, not rescue. If there's one little takeaway from what this means to stop, God created rest as a rhythm, not rescue. What do I mean by this? We were designed for rest to be as rhythmic as our lungs inhaling and exhaling, for rest for us to be as rhythmic as the sun's rising and setting. But too many of us live our lives holding our breaths of rest and giving ourselves to exertion and work and exhaustion and hurriedness only to gasp for rest just long enough to delay our suffocation, but never actually long enough to take a deep breath and live into the life that we were made for. We live with rest as rescue rather than a rhythm. Now, are there times when like we need like added rest for the, yeah, absolutely. But when that's the primary means of it rather than the rhythm, it's no wonder that our souls feel suffocated. Rest was designed by God to be a weekly rhythm, not a sporadic quick fix or not as uh, retirement. God created rest as a rhythm, not as retirement. And what I mean by this is that rest is not something that you kill yourself to achieve, maybe at the end of your life or before you turn 40. Rest was meant to be a rhythm, not something that's a quick fix to keep going and not something that we delay to the end of our lives when we finally achieved everything. You see, when we live apart from this rhythm, we go against what God weaved into our bodies and into creation. As the philosopher H.H. Farmer once said, when you go, you've heard me say this a bunch of times, when you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. When you go against the design of your body and of this world, you, you, you are going to get pushback. You will get negative feedback. And so this is true in the negative. When we don't Sabbath, we suffer burnout, stress, insomnia, hormonal imbalances, trashed immune systems, anxiety, brain fog, frayed relationships, distance with, you know, from God, and the list goes on. But on the positive, when we do Sabbath and enter into this, we move into God's rhythm and in doing so find ourselves reaping the reward. Consider the historical account of two groups of pioneers traveling the Oregon Trail. Hopefully none of them died from dysentery. One group traveled seven days a week to get to Oregon as fast as possible. The other half refused to break Sabbath, traveling for six days and resting for one. And which group do you think actually made it to their destination first? It was the Sabbathing group. Or consider the folk story of two woodcutters, one who chopped constantly throughout the day, never ceasing. The other stopped for 15 minutes every hour. And by day's end, it was the second who cut down more. How? In those 15 minutes, he was living into a body that has limits, allowing his limits to come to their end, to breathe and get his energy and strength back, and also to sharpen his tool. When we live within the rhythm we find actually more productivity than less. And again, 
I say that with a footnote and an asterisk as a beneficial side effect and not the purpose. Because if we turn Sabbath into a means of just being better at work, then we're still falling at the altar that I am what I produce. Similarly, there was a recent medical study on a large community of Christians who faithfully practiced the Sabbath. And what they found in this community was on average, they are happier than the general population. And second, they lived longer on average, 11 years longer on average than the general population. One doctor pointed out that if you add up all the days given to Sabbath over a life, it's right around 11 years. His theory is that for every day you Sabbath, you literally add a day back to your life. I said, theory, not Siri. Oh, no. To do that, you'll need to turn off airplane mode. Okay. Thanks, Siri. Um, the worst. Okay. So this, she's still listening. Please leave me alone, Siri. Oh, no. To do that. As I've, okay, this 6 1 rhythm is built into the fabric of God's world. This 6 in 1 rhythm is like, it's, it's built into the, it's, it's like gravity or thermodynamics. It it's just is. It's how God made the world. And so the reality is, if, you fight, if I fight gravity, I may want to fly like a bird. I will crawl on top of a building and jump off. Here's the reality. Whether or not I believe that gravity exists, gravity exists. I can work with gravity or I can work against it, but it just is. In the same way, this six-in-one rhythm just is. When we work against it, we face the consequences. But as I've found over the past eight years of practicing Sabbath, when we work within this rhythm, we open ourselves up to a way of life that sustains, empowers, and propels us. It becomes the, the, like this breathing source of like we're living within and finding our humanity, our, our, our delight, our joy, our attention. It just, we end up finding our humanity in the process. And this is why later in scripture, it's not just God's rhythm, it's God's command. Again, turn in your Bibles and just a book over from Genesis to Exodus to Exodus chapter 20, the 10 commandments looking at commandment number four, Exodus 20, verse eight, the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, a stopping to the Lord your God. You must not do any work, you, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, everything in them in six days, and then he, Sabbath, he rested, he stopped on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. The Sabbath is not just a good rhythm. It is a command of God. It's one of the 10 commandments. In fact, it's the longest of them all. If you had a 10 commandment pizza, stick with me here. If you had a 10 commandment pizza and you went through and cut your size of slices for each of the 10, you know, 10 slices, and each slice was based on how many words were given to that particular command. If you reached for the Sabbath command, you would take away a third of the pie. It's, it's in God's economy, Sabbath is just as, if not more important than not lying, stealing, or killing vital centrality within the Ten Commandments. But here's the strange thing. In American church culture, there are nine commandments that if I choose to break, I would lose my job over 
stealing, lying, adultery, right? Like you, the, Ryan's idol, like idolatry. Ryan's worshiping another god. I would lose my job. You guys wouldn't like. That's not. Hey, you know, started worshiping. No. Any other commandment, I would lose my job over. But in the American church culture, if I don't keep Sabbath, I'd be seen as a better pastor, more available. Our church would grow. My sermons would probably be a lot better. Heck, I might even get a raise. Or from me to you, often as I pastor, I often check in, you know, just ask the question that we all ask, but I've got a loaded intention because I'm your pastor. When I ask questions about like, how are you doing? The regular answer that I receive from all of you, and this is not to shame, but just to point out, the regular answer is busy, busy or tired. And then when I tell me about that, you go on to detail the number of days in a row that you worked or how many emails you got done over the weekend. Just imagine if your pastor asked you, how are you doing? And your response was deceitful. And you went on and told me, the, your pastor how many lies you had said that week. Or how, you know, how, how, how's the week been? How are, you, how are you? I'm lustful. And you started telling me about your affairs. <laughs> or idolatrous or covetous. Just go through all of them. The, the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment, is the only commandment Christians brag about breaking. And this is largely because busyness has become a sign of social status. You watch these old videos about like in the future world in the 1950s, you know, and they've still got like the weird like gender dynamics of marriage there, but now there's robots. Um, but what's so fun, everyone, there's leisure. They work for like four, two to four hours a day. And it's just a life of leisure. That was the sign and image of like that success. That's making it. That's the ideal life. And now it's no longer leisure, but busyness that denotes how high up the ladder you are that becomes the sign of social status. And so we look at folks like Elon Musk or you know, fill in the blank with whoever, we hear about these people's unstopping, always going work ethic, and we believe that the more busy, the more important. The more busy, the more successful. The more busy, the more worth. But this is not the way of God. Now, before we come back to this, for quite some time, dealing with the Ten Commandments, Christians have debated whether or not the Sabbath is still a binding command on followers of Jesus. So a little bit of kind of theology, Bible stuff, and then we'll move back into what this means for us today. Now, the question is, what does Sabbath mean for us as followers of Jesus today? Is it still a binding command? Now, while there are good people on both sides of the argument— and even within our church. For me, I can't get around the fact that Sabbath precedes the Ten Commandments. It's, it's, it's baked into like the opening pages of the Bible. And similarly, that none of the other Ten Commandments are absolved on the other side of Jesus. Nobody says, on the other side of Jesus, idolatry is okay. You know, just like do your best. Or murder, you know, hey, who hasn't killed somebody? Like we don't, honoring your parents, that's, not, that's no longer binding. But, but for the fourth commandment, again, the longest commandment, again, the only commandment like rooted in the intent and design of creation is the one that we look for the get out of jail free card on, the one that we make exceptions on. And even more, as we saw back in Genesis a moment ago, asking whether we have to keep Sabbath or not is kind of like asking whether I have to keep the law of gravity. Like you can or you can't, but it is. Like you, you can find out, you can work with it or against it, but it just is. So even for those who may disagree with me, and I know this is a larger conversation, that this is, for those who may say, I don't believe that the Sabbath is no longer a binding commandment, this rhythm still exists as God's gift to you. Something to be received and worked within. And I just find it so funny that like the commandment is take a day off. 
And I can't do that. Like, and it's, and we look for all the theological example. The command is to take a day off. Like I imagine if for me, some of you hate ice cream because you hate God, but the, I just imagine if the fourth command was this many words on like, thou shalt once a day eat ice cream. And I was just like, I made all these excuses over like not eating ice cream. It'd be like, what's your problem with ice cream, dude? Like, it's, 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 that's awesome. It reveals something about our hearts and the age that we live in that this is the command that we're very quick to do away with. Whether or not you believe that it's a binding command, this rhythm still stands as a gift. Wayne Muller writes, you'll see behind me, the Sabbath is not a burdensome requirement from some law-giving deity, you ought, you better, or you must, but rather it's a remembrance of a law that's firmly embedded in the fabric of nature. Sabbath is a reminder of how things really are. And here it is again, the rhythmic dance to which we unavoidably belong. Like we can dance with it or we can step all over our toes and everyone else's. As Jesus famously said in Mark chapter two, you'll see behind me, the Sabbath was made for people, for man, for humanity, and not man for the Sabbath. Now, Jesus, in the midst of this conversation, is speaking to a generation that had the opposite problem of us. They had put together hundreds of rules on top of rules around the Sabbath, so much so that it warped its divine God's given intent. But our problem isn't that we have too many rules for Sabbath, it's that we don't have any. You see, Jesus' audience needed to hear the second half of the line. Humanity was not made for the Sabbath. We need to hear the first part. The Sabbath was made for you. The Sabbath was made for me. So it's both a command and a gift from our creator, from a generous, joyful, and loving God, from Jesus, who invited us to follow him into rest and called himself the Lord of the Sabbath. Hence the opening words of the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath. So what is it that we remember on and through the Sabbath? In stopping as a rhythm, we remember that there is a creator God, that we live in his world and it's good. We remember this is my father's world. My wife Erin and I were talking about what eight years of Sabbath have slowly done to us. And what she was noting is how it's opened her eyes to an appreciation and delight in the created world that she didn't see before. Silly things like fog and trees that most people just drive right by have become a worship moment for her. And, and for her, it's linked to Sabbath, learning to stop and pay attention. On Sabbath, we remember that though the world is full of evil and injustice, it's also full of goodness, beauty, and truth. In an age that wants to drag you down into fear and, and anxiety and torment of, oh my gosh, where the world is going, Sabbath invites you to see that there is still so much beauty and good around you. Sabbath helps us remember that in the midst of this world of darkness, there's new creation dawning through the work of Jesus. And one day a week, we get an appetizer for eternity. We get a rehearsal in the new kingdom. We remember that there's a God who has ordered a rhythm to my life and his name is not Ryan or your name. We remember that the world has already been created. It's not waiting for me to put it together. And when I stop, I begin to find that the world goes on just fine without me. It's a, it's a form of practicing our death. We remember that doing nothing with God and others is never doing nothing. We remember and we find that we don't stop when we're finished because we're never finished. We find that it's never enough. We stop when the rhythm God built into our bodies says stop. We remember and then we find that we are not what we do. 
We remember that we are not what we have. We remember that we are not what others think of us. We remember that we are who we are most deeply loved by. This is why so many of us fear stopping. We fear the emotions that we're going to meet us when we do. When things get quiet enough that our frantic busyness allows these deep fears and concerns in our heart to begin to speak and we hear them. Who am I if I'm not producing? Who am I am I not performing? And Sabbath is a weekly act of identity formation, remembering who you are. You are God's beloved child. You are his delighted in daughter. You are his, I'm proud of you, son. Devoid of what you produce just because you're his. Sabbath, we remember who we are. On Sabbath, we remember not to underestimate the value of doing nothing, of just going along, listening to all the things you can't hear, and not bothering, to quote Winnie the Pooh. We remember there's more of this uh, that we remember. So much more that we're going to need three more weeks to see all of that. Things about how we remember that we're no longer slaves. We remember uh, that this is our father's work. There's so much more that we need three other weeks for it. So here's the big thing. As we're kicking this series off, I imagine that what you've begun to see already is that Sabbath is more than just a day. It's an entire way of being in the world. Sabbath is more than just a spiritual sprinkle that you put on one day a week. It's a whole new way of reordering your life. And so the practice of Sabbath becomes a form when we stop and allow our entire lives to be opened up to the Holy Spirit to bring about a Sabbath shift. These are the shifts of what happens when we begin to enter into Sabbath, not all in once, but over the course of a lifetime, giving ourselves back to God's created rhythm. We move from restlessness to restfulness. We move from hurry to peace, from busyness to margin, from burnout to sustainability and thriving, from noise to quiet from distraction to clarity, from isolation to solitude, from crowds to community, and from grasping to gratitude. You see, Sabbath is so much more than just an aspiration. It's a practice which opens ourselves up to once again what Jesus called life to the full. Sabbath is a means to an end. And hear me, the means of the Sabbath end is not just to say, I practice Sabbath. The means are, the end is not even just that you would be more rested and happy. The means that the end are we're moving towards, what Sabbath is for, is for you to participate more in the love and life of God himself. For you to center your entire life around him, to live more deeply with him, to give him our most sacred of resources is your time. It's the one thing you can't get more of which is what I just think about this. We are so okay with like, I, I find it so much easier to, to, you know, pull resources out of people than giving time. I find this so regularly within, and, and so I want to at one moment celebrate how awesome our care ministry is in the care that we do, but also notice the distinction. Within our care ministry, when things come up in your lives, well, we have care ministry that we get together and we figure out how we can care for people. And, and most often what it comes in the form of is gift cards. Now I love DoorDash gift cards. But so often, what that reveals within our community is we are very okay with parting with our financial resources for the sake of others, but the thing that's the most sacred thing to us, the hardest thing to give is our time. To say, I'm gonna make a meal myself. I'm gonna bring it over. I'm gonna sit with you. I'm gonna mourn with you. I'm gonna pray with you. I'm gonna celebrate with you. Time is the most sacred thing, and it's the hardest thing that we give. And so 
in the same way, by stepping into Sabbath, we give an offering, a sacrifice to God that is the most important thing that we hold, is our time. You don't know how much of it you have, and there's no way to get it back. And God invites you, entrust not just your life, but your time to me and watch what I do with it. As we center our entire life around him, as we live more deeply in him, we then find ourselves overflowing with that love and with the life of God out into others around us. Not just on Sabbath, but all week long. As Walter Brueggemann writes, you'll see behind me, people who Sabbath live all seven days differently. Once again, Sabbath is not just a spiritual sprinkling on your Saturday. It's an entire new way of existing in the world. So here, as I said in the beginning, you don't have to live a life of nonstop exhaustion. Each of you here, every single one of you, no matter your stage of life, can adopt the practice of Sabbath. Every single one of you can enter into this rhythm. All of us can receive this gift, and each of us have been invited by God to obey this command. And again, the good news is you don't have to buy it or order it online. All you have to do is stop. And so with this vision of Sabbath as stopping in mind, in the coming week as you gather in your discipleship groups, and again, if you are new to Collective and you want to jump into this, the QR code on the chair in front of you is how we can help you get paired with a discipleship group. As you gather in your discipleship group, alongside discussing the weekly Bible passages, you are going to discuss how you are going to take your first step to Sabbath, to stop, through this week's three exercises that you'll see right behind me. The first is to pick a time to Sabbath and give it a try. You got three basic options. The first is the Christian Sabbath on Sunday, which is best for most of you because it's also the day of worship. And so this time right here is part of your, your Sabbathing. There's also the traditional Sabbath from sundown on Friday night to the same time on Saturday. All my Messianic Jewish Christian friends in here, woo! Um, and also pastors who work on Sundays. Uh, and then the third is a traditional Sabbath from sundown on Friday night to the same time on Saturday, for those of you that have a work schedule that, that, that is just different. So we have uh, the tr Christian Sabbath on Sunday, traditional Sabbath, sundown Friday, to the same time Saturday, or a midweek Sabbath. And so pick, think through this week, and pick, plant your flag, this is my stopping point. If an entire day is too much for you, and you're sweating at the thought of this, that's fine. Start where you are. Consider starting with three to four hour time period either maybe after the gathering on Sunday, Saturday, or maybe a weeknight where you just turn off your phone and you stop. The second thing that we're going to do after picking a time is to pick a beginning and ending ritual. In the traditional Sabbath ceremony called the Kaddish, you begin by lighting two candles, which represent the two Sabbath commandments. We'll look at the second next week. And to represent the presence of God's life and life coming into your time and your home. You pray, you eat a Sabbath meal with your family or, and your community. And then after Sabbath, you end by praying and sharing some of the highlights of your Sabbath. So you can do just exactly this, or you can let the Sunday gathering, this be the thing that you come to church and gather with us, and then that's what kicks off your Sabbath for the rest of the day, or you can get creative. You can start with a picnic, a bonfire, or a hot bath, or grilled pizzas, wine, and chocolate chip cookies. Let your creativity guide you. Um, that is a, a personal insight uh, from the Smith family. But the key here is simply just marking out sacred time, that when we pray or we light the candles or when the table is set and we sit down until we gather around and we pray again. This is, this is stopping time. This is our Sabbath time. 
The third is to pick one to three Sabbath activities to enter into the spirit of Sabbath. If you read the wider Sabbath literature, some of which is as old as the New Testament, you discover there's 12 common activities that fill up a traditional Sabbath. You'll see these behind me. So there is the lighting of the candles, like I just talked about, a way of remembering um, the commands, receiving God's presence. But what we found with having little kids is the candles is like their favorite part. Because it's like a birthday cake every week. And it's like, who gets to blow out the candles after dinner? It becomes, it's become a highlight that our kids look forward to lighting the candles. The second is blessing the children. In our home, what this looks like regularly is at Sabbath dinner, we have two kids, and so my wife and I will both take one of our kids into each other's laps, and then we'll just speak words of celebrating who they, we see them being, who we see them becoming. It's just the reality that most of us have lived under blessed lives without hearing the love, delight, and pride of parents and those we look up to spoken over us. And so we end up spending our whole lives looking for it. And so what this becomes is a generational gift shifting into a family of people that, are, that have that, 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 that deepness in them. Uh, the third is eating a Sabbath meal. Like I said, that can be grilled pizza, wine, and chocolate chip pizzuki, but it's weekly feast. You do you. What is the feast that you, oh, that would be it. Do it plan it and do it. Fourth is expressing gratitude. Um, for us, this just simply looks like naming the best part of the week, but thanking God in it. Not just going like, oh, what's your favorite thing? This, but going this, thank you God for this. You know, this going to see a movie or this getting to hang out with friends or this conversation or this moment. Fifth is singing or an after dinner dance party is always um, in order in our home. Sixth is worshiping with the church community. Hi, how are you? Look at this. This one's already checked off. There you go. So I actually have like 11. Uh, walking in a city of cars, it's surprising how, how big this is that most of us live our days getting in cars back and forth. And to just go for a long walk is actually, it just, it gets us back into our bodies. In, in a city where we just go drive and then come home and we walk outside, it gives us an opportunity to take in our neighborhood and with it our neighbors to fall in love with the place that God has placed us. Eight is napping and all God's people said, Ninth is making love to your spouse. This is fantastic. The Jewish rabbis actually commanded it on, on Friday. So it was like a thing. Like they, we talked about all those hundreds of laws that they had around that. That was what it was like. If you're married, like that's what Friday's for. Like, like you just, you got to carve out that time. Uh, tenth is reading, especially scripture. And so Sabbath is a time for, if you go back to our scripture series, a time for meditating on scripture, Lectio Divina, or for science fiction novels. No, that's just me. Okay, um, 11 is spending time alone with God. And 12th is spending time with family and friends and conversation and celebration. So hear me, this is not a to-do list, but it's kind of like 12 best practices that you're invited. Just pick a couple of these from and go, okay, here we go. We're gonna try it out. And you know, one, two, and three. We're gonna do these ones and see how it goes. And so for week one, the invitation is just pick one to three of these that your heart's drawn to and that sound appealing to your personality and stage of life. And, and then just no judgment. See what happens. Just try it out. Practice it. So all of this and more is detailed in the Sabbath Companion Guide, which you can get both digitally or physically at collectivechurch.com slash current series. So there's more details about um, all of the exercises for this week, as well as um, some other little um, things to lean into. One of them is three reach exercises each week. So each week we're going to have exercises of taking a little bit of a step deeper into Sabbath. And for those of you that want to go a little bit deeper or have the availability to, there's reach exercises. It's a little bit something to take your experience deeper. So the reach exercises are um, 
a set of pages from Dan Allender's book on the Sabbath, which is such a, if you're like, I don't like snotty, boring, like theology, this is not that. Um, wonderfully narrative, uh, poetically written, but all about a theology of the Sabbath. Um, so uh, Dan Allender's Sabbath. You may listen to the supplementary episode from Practicing the Way's Rule of Life podcast. There's an episode, conversation between church leaders um, on in what Sabbath is all about. And there's an episode for each week. Or as the big reach exercise for this week, for those of you that really want to lean into uh, this, this rest, and, and again, going back to the problem of our exhaustion in our bodies, you can take steps to sleep a full eight to nine hours every night for an entire week to try this out. Um, the, the companion guide has, I think, two pages of um, like, how do I do that? Actually, it's like three, I think, because that's so crazy to us that we don't know how to sleep. So we need someone to tell us how. Um, so there's literally tips of like, hey, introduce a sleep schedule. Avoid caffeine and nicotine. Avoid large meals and beverages late at night. Have the, like, it's just things that like, maybe you don't know, maybe you do. The whole point is just to help try this out. So again, the whole point with all of these is you can do one of these, two of these, all three of these. These are just reach exercises that are meant to be a supplement to the main exercises that we're leaning into as a community. So as I hope you're kind of seeing in this moment, each week of the series, we're going to have a teaching on stop, rest, delight, and worship. I'm going to give a vision for exercises in our communities. And then as you go out into your week, you will plan and then discuss in your discipleship group what and how you're going to put it into practice using the companion guide to kind of be the, the help through that. After doing that, before gathering as a discipleship group again, there is Sabbath Reflections, where you're going to kind of write out where was there resistance, where did I feel delight, and where did I most experience God's nearness, and then you'll be able to share that in discipleship groups. So the hope is after four weeks, we're beginning to feel what this is like, how to do it, what works, and what doesn't for me and my stage of life. But the whole point is that we're trying it out, and then we're reflecting, and we're moving forward. As South African professor Trevor Hudson writes, we don't change from our experience, we change when we reflect on our experience. If there's anything that our discipleship groups are about, it is this. We don't change just by reading the Bible and moving on with our lives. We change by reflecting and discussing what it is in our life and in Scripture and the community that we're seeing. And so this is what that time is for. So there you go. Welcome to week one of Sabbath. How are we doing? <laughs> Terrified? Some of you are you know, maybe really excited. So the idea being, here's the thing. You've got a week you know, before the next weekend to figure this out, meet with your discipleship group and plan it. But we're gonna to begin to slowly week on week build. And the hope is that within a month, we're going to have a trajectory set for Collective to be a, a church that Sabbaths, to be a, a community of rest and delight, to lean into what Jesus invites us into.